Alison and I'm a butcher. You may also know me as Butcher Girl Alison. So basically what I'm about is uh, I do a lot of training, education and consulting, but I really hate that word consulting because it sounds a bit corporate to me, but that's what I do. Uh, I'm all about debunking the idea of uh, second, like primary cuts being the only tender cuts with inside the animal. So I'm a qualified butcher by trade and I mainly focus on sustainability and using the entire animal. Excellent. Right, good job. Right. I think we're going to have some good questions and good discussions here. Yeah, no, we, that's the thing. Is we, we did query you off air, Alison, to see if you'd listen and you haven't listened to a podcast before, no, which is okay, no. which is okay. But um, we are we are strong advocates for using the whole animal, aren't we, Andrew? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I um, to the right podcast. <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's see, I've, I've followed you myself on on LinkedIn and, and stuff, and yes. I, I have to compliment you on the quality of your images to begin with. A very professional, but but the content itself, I thought this is a lady we could have on that is right up our alley in terms of uh, your passion well, for. Well, we're for, we're, un, we're unofficially sponsored by Packed and Park. <laughs> 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 They, uh, are. They, they, are actually, they yeah. don't know it, yeah. uh, but uh, but we yeah. do advertise them on every single podcast. Uh, nearly, back, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, nearly, yeah, we do. They, they, we're fans of theirs, and hopefully they they have been on the podcast. They've been on the too, podcast. Yeah. The owner, if it's been on the podcast many episodes ago. Yeah, oh. yeah, but we'll before we go too far into it, Alison, we'll um we'll do our little um our little word association six cents game to start off. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I think Andrew, you might you can start if you like. I think I'm gonna. So basically, what we do with this one is we fire a, a word or short phrase at you, and you give us the first thing that pops into your mind. Oh God! And I think I'm gonna be. We we always pretty much ask the same ones quite often, but I think I'm yeah. gonna be pleasantly surprised by the answer. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Black pudding. Black pudding. Ah, uh, uh, reminds me of London. Haggis. Yummy. Yeah, good answer. Crocs footwear. Never. Ah, oh, jeez, you, you just lost the vote there. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going through it anyway. It was, it was, a, it was a nice podcast while it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> you both have Crocs on, right? Uh, Andrew probably does. Andrew's a fan. <laughs> no, um, it's all about style and comfort. <clears throat> yeah, get there anyway. <laughs> Fake meat. What's that? Fake meat. Uh, I think it's probably the way of the future in some ways. I think it's modern. Mm. Mm. Awful. Sweetbreads, actually. Sweetbreads. Delicious. Uh, The local butcher. Love them, absolutely. Uh, I think the local butcher is uh, where we should be going rather than the supermarket. Uh, I'm all about the local butcher. Bringing it back, yes. Very good. I think that's our six, I think, isn't it, Andrew? Pretty sure. That sounds right. We always always lose count as we're going because we're listening to the answers. But um, I'll I'll start – I might start with actually the local butcher then um, and go in reverse because – so, oh, actually, how did you become a butcher? A... Yeah, that's well, that's what I was, was going to ask. <laughs> stop, <laughs> yeah. waff, stop waffling then. So, I I never intended to be a butcher. I think people think because I came from a farm, like my parents have a property in uh, Haywood, which is past Hamilton in the Western District. So, I grew up on a farm, and naturally, people think because 
I'm a woman and I'm from the farm that I wanted to become a butcher. But the reality is that I never ever killed or did any home kill on the farm. It was always, that was our profit. So it wasn't something that I ever did. I guess the only thing that the farm taught me was not to be so fussy about meat uh, or, you know, not to be so fussy about dirt or getting down into doing hard day's work. Uh, so butcher, I I was... I was in London actually and I was working in a caftan shop and it turns out that there is a whole shop dedicated to caftans and I did what every Aussie does. I go, I went over to the UK and I got a job and it was to be for a year and I ended up being there two years. But the caftan shop didn't exactly work out. So it turns out I wasn't very good at selling caftans. <laughs> And I had to look at my options. And as I was walking to the caftan shop every day, I passed this beautiful English butcher shop in um, Holland Park. And it was Lydgates of London. So it was like a fifth or sixth generation butcher. And I saw that they had beautiful cane hats and amazing display. I was always incredibly interested in the food industry. And I was probably always going to be involved in some way. And I, I, I decided that it was my days as a caftan seller were over and I saw an advertisement on the window and I went into the butcher shop and Mr Lydgate, who owned Lydgate's, really embraced the idea of me coming on board and being a counterhand. And then slowly the boys could see that I was really passionate about what I did and I was a food stylist before I became, um, before I went overseas. I did a degree in food styling at RMIT and then I what's, was- um, what's, Can you explain what a food stylist is, Alison, for those of us on the podcast that aren't quite aware so, what that wrong? So basically I went to university and it, I had to do something at university because my parents wanted me to have that experience and I- could only find this degree that had a small element of food styling, which was styling food to be photographed for magazines and doing recipe development and things like that. And because I was really creative and taking pictures of my food all the time, it just made sense to do that. So then that's what a food stylist is. Yeah. So that's your that's your work that's on the LinkedIn and, and the stuff you're showing as the pictures of what you're doing. That, that's your work as well as it, I presume. Yeah, it's all my work. Yeah. 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 So that, yeah. that makes sense why it looks so professional because that's oh, what you studied you. originally. Um, yeah. But then, so then it's you met from... me look, It's making me hungry looking at <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. They're fabulous pictures. But um, so you're in London, you, you got there as like a, a counter type hand thing, but then you progressed. Did you do your actual, as an apprenticeship in butchery? Is that what you do or how does it work? Yeah, so after London, they, they the boys were really good. There were about 50 boys out the back in such a tiny place and they were really loving that I loved it and wanted to get involved. So they unofficially took me under their wing and taught me a lot of the skills. Then I decided that this was something I really wanted to do and then I started my apprenticeship here in Melbourne when I got back as a butcher. So, yes, it's four years and it's trade school as well as finding a a job for someone to take on you on as an apprentice. And then it's four years of training and yeah, uh, yeah, going to TAFE. 
So what's it like as a, a female? Like I would imagine, and it's probably being a bit, you know, kind of old-fashioned, I guess, but I would imagine it's not that many ladies in the trade. Um, it's a bit like being, a, you know, those kind of male-dominated other trades, you know, you're kind of the one female in a group of all men. Is that is it pretty much like that? Is it, did you come across yeah. any other ladies? Yeah, so when I started, which was almost two decades ago, it was there was not really anyone I knew. that a fem- I didn't know any a female butcher, actually. It's not that common anymore, but it's still there's still a few coming in, which is great. There's more than there was two decades ago. Uh, So I have met or I'm seeing more and more on social media, which is a great thing. Uh, I think we've got social media on our side these days. So it's really good to see that they're coming, they're coming about. And that's what I'm about really about bringing people or women into the industry because it is definitely something a woman can do. I just don't think it was ever given as an option uh, when I was growing up, I mean, when you, you I, I was doing like for work experience, it wasn't given to me as an option. It was, I was, I went and became, uh, I did a nursing thing like that. I think that's probably half the problem. You know, people aren't presenting it as a career path. Yeah. If you know, what's the, what's the old adage? You have to be seen or something to be, oh, I can't think what it is now. You might know what I'm talking about, Andrew, where we if you're not, if you're not seen, no. When when they're talking about, particularly in those kind of roles where there's not a lot of uh, representation yeah. of a certain type, oh, that yeah. the, the people that are not in it, the young girls coming up or whatever, or oh, yeah. anyone that's you know in that in that kind of diversity background, you've got to you've got to see someone in in that role to to, to kind of yes. ram home the point yeah. that you, you can actually do it, right? If you don't see yourself there, you don't see what, it. Yeah. yeah. You have to see it to be it or something or something along those exactly. lines. Is the and it's like, you know, years ago you didn't see many female doctors, but mm. now you're seeing a lot. So I'm hoping one day it's as common as, common as seeing a female doctor. But, yeah, if you're not seeing it, you don't think, then that's what I'm about. I'm about modernising it and showing people that this it was a pretty low morale industry, to be honest, and... Um, when I got back from Shanghai, I really thought that I want to bring butchering back and show people that this is something that can take you across the world. I mean, look where it's, what it's done for me. Mm. And that, that's actually where I was going to go to where, so you, you spent the time in London, you came back to Australia and got the qualifications, but then you've also then been across, what was the role you did there in Shanghai? Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of what you're doing there? Yeah, so essentially I was taken to Shanghai for a year. I was asked to go after I completed my apprenticeship to be an ambassador for Australian beef. So I worked with some high-end beef brands, Wagyu brands and Australian beef producing producers to go there and promote Australian beef. So initially I started at the Jing'an Shangri-La, a steakhouse where I would work all day chopping the meat downstairs and training the staff how to cut meat and then at night I would go up and I would dress as a, a butcher and I'd have a beautiful dry aged piece of meat and I would cut the meat for them at the table and they loved the show and I would also guide people through the menu there was something like 35 cuts of Australian beef from different beef producers in Australia and I guided them on grass-fed grain-fed what was something interesting for them to try so it was really quite successful uh, and then I was doing it all over China in high-end steakhouses or barbecue houses and then training and then it went to Southeast Asia as well I was doing it throughout there nearly like theatre 
kind of to a degree. Yes, yeah. yeah pra- practical theatre type. Yeah, and I think people were really embracing the fact and a lot of the Chinese didn't believe that I was a butcher and, you know, you can be glamorous and a butcher at the same time. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's where it really, the, the the idea of butcher girl was always there in Shanghai. Uh, I, I thought that, that there's definitely a real um, market for this. And then, of course, because of my food background and, Secondary cuts were used a lot in Asia, so I was very passionate about using the entire animal, and I think Asians do those things really, really well. So, so that, that was that was that was the one thing I wanted to move on to as well is, is secondary cuts, yeah. Yes. And uh, I, I was watching. I was lying on the couch last night watching a a food tour YouTube video, which is I love to watch. So it wasn't one of my YouTube videos. And no, I'm going to watch that tonight. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a food tour of Madrid, and they went to this beautiful old traditional 200-year-old tapas bar. Yeah. And uh, the tapas was uh, really simple foods, like a bit of garlic, a bit of parsley, a bit of olive oil, but it was pig's ears and yeah, yeah. sweetbreads. Mm-hmm. And it looked beautiful. Uh, mm. The guys eating it said it tasted beautiful. But we never see that here. No. And the only place, funnily enough, the only place that I've seen awful on the menu is in Bacchus Marsh at the Flanagan's Pub that sells uh, lamb's fry. That's, that's very, I mean, I'm a bit older than you two, I'm pretty sure. But I remember growing up as a teenager or just when I was starting to go to the pubs, I might have went to a few pubs before I was allowed to. Um, but I remember you could go into almost any pub uh, in those days, I'm talking back in the late 80s, early 60s. 90s. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. And, um, and it was a staple counter meal was always lamb's frying bacon, always, right? And then if it was you know, a bit more fancy, you'd even get sheep's brain or something, crumb sheep's brain at, you know, at, on the counter meal. I reckon nowadays I, I, I'd be struggling to, to think of a pub in the last decade that I've visited where you've got lamb's fry on the menu. Flanagan's. It's just not there anymore. Flanagan's well, is the only one I've seen. Well, that that's interesting because I didn't know that. I should go down and try it. Um, uh, but I think that it's it's mind over matter when it comes to to offal. I think that people, as soon as they hear that, oh, this is some some uh, beef heart, then immediately the mind goes, no, I don't want to try it. Hmm. But honestly, I've cooked beef heart here last week. I did a YouTube on it actually. Yeah, I saw and that. I was. It's it's really tender, and honestly, if you threw it through a pie or anything, you you just wouldn't know that it was awful. Mm. And even it makes beautiful steaks. It's very tender, and it's cheap. So you know, I, I don't. It's ten dollars a kilo. So what that would that actually leads me to a query. What what would be your top three most underrated cuts that you think uh, you know that you could buy that is cheap but it's absolutely fabulous? Right. For sure. Tripe, yeah. Yeah, honeycomb tripe is probably one of my favourites, as well as heart. I love beef heart. And then I also really enjoy beef tongue. Mm. Mm. Yes, yes, I love beef tongue. So uh, I think that, you know. I didn't really think of that as awful, though. Beef tongue? Yeah. Is that considered an awful or a second cut? Yeah, it's an awful one. It's so good. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a delicacy in Japan. So the honeycomb, honeycomb tripe I actually had not that long ago. We went to Yamcha a couple of weeks back in Melbourne, and the, that's a, one of the staples there along with chicken feet that we always get, the tripe. 
But what, how, like, how else would you be cooking it? Oh, and sometimes you can have it in like a Vietnamese pho, 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 whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah. Um, how would you, how would you be cooking tripe? So it's a, it's a little bit of work in cleaning it, but not too much. It's, um, I guess the smell of the house is, you know, you know when you cook tripe when you've got it on. But um, it, I have it. My favorite recipe with tripe is to fry it and it gets really crispy and then I put some chili through it, a little bit of sugar, soy and some chili paste, fry it right up, cemented black beans and with a beer it is absolutely sensational and you would not, what I love about honeycomb tripe is looking at it, you wouldn't even know it was awful and I think that's why I love that recipe so much is because so- it's like it and it's super tasty so is it crispy like like almost like a crackling or not quite totally yeah, different you fry to... it right up and it's got that beautiful texture it doesn't really offer that much flavor to a dish it more offers texture and that softness it's super soft hmm. mm. so i'm looking at a uh, a menu here item which i think is would be my ideal dish and that is lamb hearts Stuffed, yeah. with, stuffed with black pudding and gravy. Oh, you love that. <laughs> oh, she's Scottish. <laughs> uh, I, I, the only thing I'm really annoyed at the moment is that we're doing this podcast at 11 o'clock. And I miss breakfast. And uh, I'm starting to starting to arrive now. Uh, it, but, but, but why? So how, like, we've, we've had this discussion with, how many podcasts have we had? This is 140 oh, podcasts. Well, every every guest gets uh, asked. And, and, every get guest asked about gets asked about black pudding and and, uh, and, and, and haggis. awful, yeah. in, including some politicians and what their policies are towards awful. Yeah, I, because like from my point of view, I see that I don't like wastage either. No, and I see that there's a lot of awful that is potentially wasted. Mm. But if we want to get you know environmental credentials for beef and sheep and mm. whatever else, mm-hmm. we should be encouraging the use of that awful. But how do you encourage that? Well, for a start, you could, like, if you truly want to honour it, you should be presenting it in the counter at the butcher shop, shouldn't you? You don't mm. see it much here. Uh, so that's where I'd start. And people can start seeing it as an option. And with with the price of beef right now, and we've got to look at what the consumer wants, right? They're going more and more towards sustainability and the environment. So this is this is part of it using the entire animal. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that if you don't have if you don't see it, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get more familiar with it. And consumers with the price of beef, like I was saying, the price of beef is so high right now. I think we need to be looking at using these cuts and debunking that idea or that that awful is 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 considered weight like something that goes in the bin. It's just one of the one of the risk factors, though, from our perspective, Andrew. We spoke about this too. If we if we encourage the consumption of because we we are market analysts primarily (laughs) and economists in our day job. If we if we encourage the consumption of these things that we enjoy eating too much, then the price will get it'll get to the stage because there is a lot of offer we do export, of course, to countries that do value it. Yeah. And so, therefore, when you look at it from the perspective of the processes, you know, breaking down the animal, they're mm. going to they're going to send those those items to the where they can get the most value, and often often um, that's overseas, right? So that's and that's part of the reason too why I think you don't see it. Oh, we that's have right. we have we have lambs fry at home probably once every you know kind of month or month and a half, um, yeah. but but we have to go out 
to a dedicated like a local butcher, not your not your standard kind of you know other other venues. Well, you have to order it in. Correct. But you can like it can be there in the next day, and it it, it goes it goes further too. Something like a beef heart can be up to five kilos. Mm. It, it stretches, but it's so about it's- education, you know, showing people, and that's How- what I think Butcher Girl does. It 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 shows that these are the yummy dishes that you can get from off, and it's way cheaper. But also, also knowing how to cook it as well. People know how to cook a steak. Well, twenty mm. years ago, people didn't know how to cook a steak. No, actually. no. And and my mother how, it, how to prepare it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas you know, if you gave somebody a bit of tripe, knowing what to do with it would be the difficulty. Yeah, yeah, true. So, and th- this kind of leads into that that view you're saying at the outset, Alison, about using your local butcher as opposed to going elsewhere, because something like a beef heart. You, you can request it and the butcher does all that prep work so that and can probably even help explain how to use that product, right? Um, yes. yeah, you absolutely. know, ra- rather than just going to your local, you know, supermarket and just grabbing whatever primal cuts on the shelf and doing the same old, same old. I think the supermarket is just you don't you don't know like where it's where it's it hasn't it's not custom cut for you as well. Like if you just want 25, like a hundred grams of mince, you can't, you can't get that from the supermarket shelf and you haven't, yeah, you're right. You haven't got those options of getting awful and the interesting cuts. There's no custom cutting. Hmm. So, and also body beef is amazing. So butchers are getting in bodies of beef, breaking them, uh, I think body beef is probably the best out there once you, and the butchers can supply that. It hasn't been um, wet aged the entire time. Mm. What do you mean by well, body meat? Yeah, yeah, just I was looking at body beef. What's that? So we, so if I, it's not, it's a term you use in a butcher shop. So once you break the body of beef, so it, that's body beef. Like uh, you've got your fillet, and that's come off the body. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sitting there on the on, it's on the carcass. There, it's not it's already cut and just sitting there for ages. You're cutting it as you're almost using it, kind of thing. Oh Is no, I could have cut it two days ago, but I've cut it off. You know, right. it's okay. not come out of a wet age cryovac bag. Ah, yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's come straight from the carcass. Straight, yeah. straight from the carcass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think um like I know I went through a stage there where where butcher shops, you know, the local butcher was struggling significantly. And I, I think, at, you know, when, when shows like MasterChef and those cooking shows became, you know, such a popular sensation and then people started to see all these other cuts and, that, and, and you get this whole kind of lot of foodie types that enjoy cooking and that's becoming quite a popular thing or has become a popular thing. Do you think that has assisted in people realising the value of the local butcher? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, I think, so. who did it on there? There was a butcher that came on. I th- actually, MasterChef need a butcher to come on and do all the secondary cuts properly. But I'm not do you know sure. A, do you know a good a good kind of, you know, flamboyant kind of yeah, butcher that and, could get on there and, and show? Yeah, and you present. Know. Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think they had Curtis Stone do it last time, didn't they? That's who did it. Um, but I was thinking I could do that job and I could do it really well. I probably, I mean, Curtis is a great chef, uh, but butchers and chefs, they're, um, they're very quite different really. Like we're trained in cutting and we know more about the secondary cuts and everything that's in there than a chef does. Uh, but I think that with butcher shops, they're, they're really struggling, aren't they? And it, it, people rare. are struggling to find butchers and that's where we've got to get back to basics. Like 
going, getting more people engaged in the industry. And a lot of butcher shops are closing. So if you're not seeing them anymore, then you're not really thinking about them, are you? And you're just going to the supermarket and grabbing, you don't know, you don't know what, 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 where it's come from or, you know. You've got, you've got to hunt for butchers. You actually, like, it's hard, hard to find a butchers now. I mean, there's a good one, there's a good one in Balan. Yes. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's a few. There's a few in Ballarat. There's a local one in Smysdale here where I am. That's um. But although they're only open, I think might be three days or four days a week rather than the full five days. Um. But I thought I thought through you know for there's a little while there through COVID when there was issues around supply chain in the stores that that there were some people going back to the local butcher because they found that they were getting you know it was it was easier to get what you needed at the local place rather than and if you were there if you were frequenting it regularly anyway you develop that relationship with the butcher right so that that's part of the that's part of the kind of benefit as well isn't it you can talk to someone can't you and then you you get educated as you go about the butcher can help you with your whatever creation you're thinking of doing or they might have a cheaper option as well I was working in a butcher shop where people were coming in and asking for uh, porterhouse constantly and they're like looking at the price going I actually can't afford it it's like well why don't you try some oyster blade you know remove that seam and then you've got you know the second most tender cut inside the entire animal um people just don't know so I think the butcher is yeah essential but it's very sad they're finding it tough yes and it's impossible to get butchers but um I think that starts with you know, I think we need to look at the hours. They're really long and people are choosing lifestyle over doing these, you know, 12-hour days. So they're going to work at Bunnings or something so they get that balance. Hmm. And the pay, obviously, that's one. And I think we need to be bringing more women in and diverse groups like, you know, um, ethnic groups. Is it, to- is it hard to get? Like in terms of setting up your own butcher store, is it hard to get all the licenses and stuff and health and safety and food hygiene certificates? That would be an absolute fortune, I imagine. Yeah, I reckon it's too paper heavy, to be honest. Like even the training itself, I don't know why butcher doing a butcher's apprenticeship is four years when you could probably do it in two. That's too paper heavy as well. But yes, all the prime safe, ticking all those boxes, it's, yeah, definitely got to be expensive. Mm. Just harking back, harking back to that sixth sense, there was two answers there that you gave that I was a bit suspect about. One was your dislike of Crocs. That was that nearly crossed you out straight away, but we, we've persisted, and I'm glad we so, did. So you, you, yeah. your, your answers on awful have given you have, a, a bit more kudos. Yep, but the other the other one that I was curious, and I didn't didn't expect, was your answer around fake meat, Alison. That um, you're saying that something around it being the future, um, and I, that wasn't something I was anticipating from someone in your line of work. Um, what make, what makes you think that well, it's... I don't, I'm not necessarily saying it's the future. I think it's forward thinking and it's very modern. Oh, I that's right. Modern. That's... that's right. You did say modern. Yeah, my, my, I misheard it. But so so you think there is a place for that kind of fake meat? Um, you know, my perception, I guess, is that it's, you know, as it stands, and I'm talking about the plant-based meat, not, ne- not necessarily the yeah. cell-based stuff. That's, that's a different thing entirely, I guess. But for both of those, I think, the biggest um, hurdle it's got is, is that it's, you know, f- certainly for the plant-based meat, it, in my mind, it's, it's not as good as the real thing. And, and, but at the moment, it still costs more, right? Um, so I wonder, you know, um, how long it's going to take before it really is able to compete properly with that 
with the more commoditized minced beef. Um, you know, it, it seems to me as though, yeah, I don't. I, it, it had its it had its moment where it was novel and new, and people tried. Like Andrew and I tried a what was it a Beyond Meat Burger? It wasn't bad. Yeah, but it but it was just that one time we tried it to see, stacked it up against the real thing, and and then said, okay, well, not for me, and certainly it's not for me if it's going to be three or four dollars more for that burger than this than the proper beef burger. Um, but yeah, it, I was and curious. At, and at McDonald's, um, they sold out of the plant based burger. But <laughs> did you when they brought it out? Because I don't think that was necessarily about the plant based. I think it was about the shitty McDonald's beef burger but uh, (laughs) it was it's it's I don't particularly like I have tried it and if I want a meaty burger if I want something meaty I won't reach for something plant-based or lab-grown I'll I'll just eat less meat if I'm being more conscious about the environment I would just, instead of eating it seven days a week, I'd probably eat it three to four or four or five days a week. Um, But in saying that, I think that industry or the producers really need to start looking at what consumers are looking for now and we have to be prepared for what's coming. So I think that, you know, we want want quality, we want traceability and we want to know that our animals being loved and cared for so I think at the end of the day it's not you know lab-grown meat's not going to be something that's going to ever happen in my lifetime but um yeah I just I just feel that consumers now need well producers now need to look at how they can how they can look after or get these things systems in place because we are going that way because industry is mm. changing and the consumer needs are changing, so we have to move with it. You think about, mm. um, yeah, I just think, I don't think it's the answer, but, um, yeah, sustainability comes into that as well, using the entire animal. So mm. It's an interesting point you make around the lab-based one too because I've had a lot of discussions and we get asked that when we present ourselves on, on the future of meat markets and competitors like your plant-based and your cell-based. Um, it's one that always comes up and I just I know that the cell-based product is still extraordinarily expensive but one of the things I'm always kind of perplexed by as to its potential future and you said already that you don't think it'll happen in your lifetime and I tend to agree is that it, it the current the current way they're doing this cell-based stuff is almost always around some kind of replication of a cut of steak right and, yeah. I, and I just think of like you've been saying about the secondary cuts and the tongue and the liver and the you know the shank and you know we can get bone with the marrow in it like there's all the animal has all these variety of things you can do across the, you know the tribe the whole works right a cell-based kind of product is I can't see how they're ever going to get to a stage where they can offer the variety of cuts you can get out of the one animal that just is there, right? And and then to be able to do that in a cost-effective manner, I just think we're we're decades and decades and decades away from that level of technology. We're and I don't years away. We're never going to see it. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think we're going. I don't think it's we are. It's funny because I I went to Woolworths yesterday, yeah, and uh, I was looking at the meat, and then I walked past the actual fake meat sort of yeah portion, and it's it doesn't look. It's not appealing looking, but I, and I've got no issue with vegetarian food. I went to a really nice vegetarian restaurant two weeks ago. I love vegetarian, yeah. But it wasn't, it was a place in Canberra that used to be, 
used to sell all sorts of meat and whatever else, but then it switched to vegetarian in the last two years. But it doesn't try and make things that look like meat. No, it's no. a lot of and there's a lot of good meals you can have that are vegetarian. It doesn't have to be well, that's attempt, what I attempting think. to be a steak or attempting to be a piece of yeah. bacon. Like you there's know. so many great vegetarian dishes out there. Like why do you have to reach for you know a plant based? Like grilled, like grilled cheese. What's that? Halloumi cheese. That's the grilled best cheese. vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just, I just in terms of that, it brings up you know the the real issue, which is that we need to start. The industry needs to start thinking about, um, you know, what adapting to these changes as a consumer. What consumers want. Mm. What um I'm curious to see what, what's where your time you spent in China. It sounds like you did some extensive traveling around a lot of different parts of China and into Asia. What do you think are the big differences from the Chinese consumer's perspective when it comes to the eating of meat compared to say the you know the Australian the Australian view of how we approach it? Well, I think they'll try anything. They use the entire animal and they use it really well, uh, and they bought buy in small quantities, so they shop every day. Whereas we go shop, we shop for a week and then some of it you might throw in the bin. But they shop every single morning. So they'll buy a small bag of um, peas and their garlic for that night. With their, uh, They'll always have rice. That's their staple. And then they buy their small amount of meat and then they'll go do it again the next day. So there's zero waste. Uh, so I really enjoy that aspect of it. And their cooking is very, like... You don't have to spend much. Once you have your Asian pantry set up, like with your soy sauces, your paste, all you're buying is a small amount of protein and you've got the rest here. You can make soups, uh, noodles. I just really enjoy how they use the, the the entire animal and their delicacies. Those dishes are absolute delicacies. And also in France, they do the same thing. It's like yeah. the French do it, so shouldn't we. You know, they, 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 know, they know what they're talking about when it comes to food. That's what I was thinking when you were talking about the Chinese. I thought it sounds like you know what what happens in France as well. It's almost the same concept, not just for the the meat side of it, but they almost tend to go and um, you know they're shopping regularly for their daily yeah. bread. You know, sometimes sometimes two or three times a day they'll go out and get the fresh bread. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's it, it, two week shop, don't you? Yeah. And also to go to those almost artisan style. So you'll have your your bakery, you'll have your fishmong, you'll have your butcher, you'll have your ch- fromagerie. See, you I, know, and, and... See, I must go back to my European background because I shop more regularly. Mm. Yes, yes, I, generally, I shop every day. Yeah, and I generally go in to look for the yellow stickered items. Same. <laughs> you just hang around at the just the hang hot around chi- the hot chicken stand. At just just wait for, wait, waiting wait, for, the wait for them to, to to discount some. Is that a yellow sticker you've got there? That's the inflation, right? That's just being a tight ass Scottishman. No, no, it's not. It's, it's really smart because I actually do the same thing. I see things like the other day, for example, I went to the fishmonger, and salmon was really expensive, like the whole fillet. And then I saw that they had the fattier bits of salmon on a tray. And I only wanted to put it through a volivant for Christmas. So I took the ends, like the scraps, and then came home and cooked that rather than took the $19 fillet. Like just things like that. You've just got to think outside the box, really, don't you? Like I can use that. It's just there's nothing wrong with it. Hmm. Hmm. Is there is there an equivalent 
um, fishmonger girl out there as well, what you do in the in the fish space, and because because you cover across, so you also look at you're not just doing beef and lamb, and I've seen you do some pork products in the past as well. So you're across all the. I do uh, all proteins. Um, so now. including fish as well. Uh, well, once you have nice skills, it's not really that difficult to um, to fillet a fish. So yeah, I do know how to fillet fish too. Maybe I should do something on that as well. I, is I, is it a different? Is it a different course to be a fishmonger as to be a butcher, yeah, or is it? A, it yeah. is. So it's a totally different. I actually tried you. to do a short course in it, but there wasn't really. It was really hard to find. To be honest, they've taken a lot that out of the TAFE realm. Like it wasn't there. So I think you just do an apprenticeship. Mm. Just thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking of another delicacy I used to have. It was fairly common in my youth. Was um was smoked or jellied eels, and I think it's still common in the UK, isn't it, Andrew? But you yeah, don't the, tend to jelly yeah. jelly eel pie. Yeah, you don't see that much these what? days either. Eel pie, jellied eel pie. eels, yeah, oh. or smoked eels. Smoked eels are another one you don't that's, tend that's to big, see much in, at all. It's big in London. I don't think I've yeah. ever tried it. Well, my uh, grandfather used to eat it at home here in Australia. He used to go and I think fish them out and prepare smoked eels himself. But it's another one of those things that you just don't see anymore because I don't know whether it's the skill the skill that's gone in being able to prepare it, or there's not enough people that know what to do, or it's just no demand anymore these days for it. Yeah, maybe they're not seeing it enough. But I, I'm doing a lot of smoking here. Like I smoked a heart the other day, uh, and I smoked some trout as well. Yeah, I, I smoke from home. I think it's really enjoyable. People mm. need to start kind of looking at doing things like that because it's definitely things are getting pricey now, aren't they? Do you do much um, in the way of uh, is it charcuterie or, or the smoked kind of meats and small goods? Do you do you have a lend a hand to that at all as well? Because that's something that's close to my heart. Being I'm, I'm my partner's Hungarian, so they yeah. they've kind of quite um, it's a it's a staple in there thing to have smoked pork products. Um, have you had a crack at that much at all as well? Yeah, yeah, uh, I have, and I do it all from here. I just do it on my Weber. Like you don't really need to set yourself up too fancy with these kind of things. But um, I make sausage and I smoke that as well because I have a sausage making machine. I have a studio here, so I work a lot from my studio. Uh, I've just set it up with an old butcher's bench and I just do all my work in there. Yeah. So are, I- you, are, you, are you doing kind of in-person workshops or is a lot of it online then for distribution or then you go and you kind of do – you know, I noticed because Andrew and I were up at Beef Week on in 2021 and you were presenting there, but I missed, unfortunately missed that one. I think we had another lunch on at the time you were doing what you were doing there. Oh, so um, yeah, I, I do a lot of event butchering and it's it's strange because even I had an auto, like a, a car company come to me yesterday. It must be for their Christmas party, hi. but they want me to go and break an entire animal for them. So I do lots of event butchering. So Beef 2021, I was uh, the first female to break an entire animal in, at the kickoff dinner. Mm. Um, so I get a lot of interest from that. And that's my bread and butter, basically, um, going to these, working for, like I've been, gone to Kilcoy the last few weeks in Queensland and did uh, break an entire animal for their factory staff out at the abattoir and then um, for their staff in the office to educate them on all the secondary cuts and where exactly they come from. So that's uh, how. How long is that? Like, do you say to break? So you're talking the the entire carcass of say the cattle. How how long is that process to break that down? Is it is it reasonably quick or what, what are you talking? Well, something like that. I'd just do a hind quarter or a fore quarter, and I'd just take it off in sections. So the first class I'll take off the brisket, say, and then the second class I'll take off 
the chuck and talk them through all the cuts in that. But the entire animal took me around for that show, that stopping and starting and talking people through. That was three hours and that was Gosh. the animal, yeah. Yeah, three hours because you, you're taking your time to go through it. But if you were just doing it yourself, quietly breaking down oh, animal. Oh, and honestly, out. breaking. Breaking I can do quick. It's it's not the breaking that's an issue. It's the bench work where you're cleaning up and you're, you're portioning. That's where all the work is on the bench. The breaking's easy. Like I could do that in half an hour, easy, the whole animal. Right, gosh. Jesus, not a long, not a long time really when you think about it that way. No, but they're big muscles, you know. You're just pulling them off, throwing them over. Hmm. You know, yeah. And that and that's the skill, I guess, isn't it? Is knowing is knowing, yeah, how to do that because it, you know, if you know what you're doing, it it does come apart relatively easily with minimal yeah. kind of effort, yeah. right? And everything's got a seam, so you follow the seams, and then you because you do it so much, you know where the seams are, you know where the bones are, so it cracks off, and you do it like there's so many different ways to break beef. Uh, and I, slowly over the years, I've found easier ways through all the old butchers, the old school butchers. You might, and that's the thing with butchering, you never stop learning. So you're always learning something new, a new trick from some old butcher here or some old butcher there. They're just teaching you a quicker way of doing it or a, yeah, a better way. Mm. Hmm. I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone all quiet now because he's just thinking, he's just, and actually we've got, we've got some of that packed on park black pudding in the fridge as we speak now. And I haven't had breakfast yet either. So I bloody really think... love that stuff. That labouring is great. They do an amazing job. Mm. Black pudding great product. scallops. Hey. Black pudding and scallops. Ooh. Beautiful. Yum. There we go. There we go. Well, we're all getting hungry, I think, but I don't know if we've, um, I've lost track of time because it's been such an interesting um, chat with you, Alison, but um, I don't know how, how long we've gone, Andrew. We, we're nearly getting to the stage where we need to... Go for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I tend to do that to people when I talk about food. I make them very hungry. <laughs> but we're, we're coming in, obviously, we're, we're not far away from Christmas. I think one of the ones just recently you had, Earlier in this, it might have been the start of December. You started talking about on your uh, social media, Alison, of, of you know getting ready to plan for Christmas and going down to your local uh, butcher to to kind of get the ball rolling. Is that is that what people should be considering now as they're coming in, or they probably already have planned now for their Christmas lunch? Yeah. Should and I also really wanted to make this Christmas, to be honest, Matt, about like people can't really afford to be buying the the hams and. The turkeys like that so um i i really wanted to let them know that they could just do simple little things like turkey legs are cheaper and doing something with those rather than buying the whole turkey and you know look yeah definitely like i just and, and making different things like using off cuts of the turkey to make spring rolls or uh mm. things like that i just i think that we need to be looking at cutting the cost for people. So that's why I was really focusing on getting down to your butcher and um, having a look around and seeing what's cheap and doing something interesting and creative with it, like with cranberries or mm. you, know, you don't have to go and buy that really expensive stuff. And also you can smoke your own meat as well. That's another option. <laughs> and so for those that are interested, is LinkedIn and YouTube, are they the two kind of ways you get your message across most yeah, most often? Um, Instagram. I don't really use TikTok because I'm not really selling a product. I'm, you know, I'm, I, and it's not really my market. Um, 
who knows maybe one day it will be i'm just but, I'm, I'm yeah just that's looking, basically where you can meet me i'm looking at your youtube just now and it's got my favorite your your not your last video but the previous yeah pigs in a blanket oh bloody <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that that's a Christmas thing in the UK, isn't it? They, they, only come out, they only come out at Christmas in the UK, don't so they? It's an good. absolute delicacy. Like how so many, that's, how, is many, that, how is, many how many fights are yeah. made over how many I don't know why we like I don't know why back home we just don't have like I don't know why we bother with like the turkey and stuff. Just have a massive mound yeah, of pigs exactly. in a blanket. Is it yeah. a sausage wrapped in bacon? Is that what it is? Yep. Yeah. No one knows what it is here, um, Andrew. Do you know you know the other thing that I make? which is beautiful. And I was talking to somebody about it last night and they said it sounded disgusting. But it is really nice if you like blue cheese. Yeah. Dates. Yeah. Take the pip out, stuff them with blue cheese. Yep. Then wrap them with bacon. Mm-hmm. That's shove them another. in the oven. Yeah. And a bit of honey on top of it. Yum. <laughs> beautiful. Healthy as well because it's got fruit. And the cheese. Yeah, that's super the healthy. Cheese. Cheese and calcium. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's Bacon, your bones. Yeah. Fat, you know. The other one that I, the one that I have never seen anywhere, and there was a place in Glasgow used to always do it. When you got a steak, you always used to get a piece of uh, bone with it, with a yeah, little, with a little bone marrow spoon. Yes. To, to soup it out. Yeah. That was beautiful. They don't do it here either, do they? Nah. Everyone's you can buy bone like the bones they have them in some windows in some of the high end butcher shops i've seen them they're just selling marrow like the bone marrow mm. yeah, now, it's yummy on and, ven- and venison yes that's the one i miss from back home yeah. that i never see here you can get well you can get oh, there are a handful of very kind of rare it's hard to find mm. it is actually you don't see it much do you so and we've got a feral deer problem should be turn that into an industry yeah, we should. Right, oh. There we are. Well, I think I can we're here as well. No problem. They're all the same. They've got four legs. They've all got a seam. They all sit in the same spot. So I can do that too. Right, oh. So if, if I hit one in the car, I know where to bring it. <laughs> I'm actually getting one of those rods made to hang animals so I can start doing it in my backyard, which is what I do for kicks on the weekend. Yeah. Break down an animal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'd like to be your neighbor, actually. Yeah, no, well, yeah, you, you used to be. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the smell of smoke wafting in from the smoke. You know, one Christmas back when I was living in Fitzroy before I went to China, I bought an entire lamb and then broke it down with a chopper in my backyard and gave it as gifts, like wrapped all the parts up in yeah. beautiful wrapping. And every time someone came over, I'd give it to them as a gift. Like a of the lamb. This, this, is, this is why I want to get to know you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know where Becca's marsh is, that, don't you? That's, that, that, that's why we. That's why we organised to reach out to you just before Christmas. <laughs> just hoping for an invite. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be. I'll be. Make, I'm not far away, so I'll be. I'll be making uh, the effort to come down and say good day. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm actually just, going through your village this weekend, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe you'll stop through here first and say say hello. And uh, is the butcher we'll shop from. open on a Sunday? Uh, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. It's, it, it, I know it's about three or four days a week that they're open, I'm pretty sure. They might be Saturday and then three other days in the week. Right. Um, yeah, unless they've changed again. But, I mean, we, yeah, um, it's a bit of a shame because it it's, it's a good little shop there as well. But, um, you know, just the, the, the community here is originally small still. It's growing, but it's still yeah. small. There's a really good – there's actually a really good um, butcher down at Delacombe as you're coming through 
So it's like a, you know, it's it's in part of the Delacombe complex there, opposite yeah. one of the one, well, opposite one of the supermarkets. I can't remember. The, oh, it might just be called Delacombe Butcher, they're, and they're a family-run butcher shop. But they have we get a lot of stuff from there. They're brilliant, and that's where we get um, Pacton Park. They 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 are a Pacton Park um, uh, supplier. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll have a look. I'll check it out. I'm, mm. I'm Bacchus Marsh doesn't have a butcher shop. No, it doesn't. Andrew, how no. like that? It, it's, it's, I think they've had changed hands about five times, but um, something's obviously not right in that centre. It's not working. No. Um, but there's definitely the market here for a, a little butcher shop, so maybe I'll get my hands into that. Well, it is, a, it is a bit of a foodie community there. And you know, yeah. horticulturally it's uh, quite well known, so you'd be surprised yeah. not, not to have a, a good quality artisan-style butcher. It's a growing place as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's growing. Um, it's just growing and growing. So, yeah, maybe I'll open a butcher shop. Wow. Send your customers. Yep. yep. Right, we got a good brand. Well, we'll let you go. Thank, thank you for the um, the. It was a, it was a great chat. Um, and I, I, I thought from the outset it was going to be a good one because of your experience and and um and all those kind of variety of what you've done. Uh, but um, I think you've got a fantastic message. So I appreciate you coming on and and helping thank to spread the word. It's lovely to meet you. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll listen to myself on this podcast. No worries. I'll be up soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Oh, we'll finish it off there. But, yeah, it's been fantastic. And um, we'll see you when you've got nothing on. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you guys so much.